Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, I am really excited about today. Um, in, the, in, the, in the heart of leaning into the moment, which we've been trying to do for a number of months and being really aware of our world and what's going on in it in these unique days. 2020 is one of the most unique years of our life, uh, and we're only you know, halfway through. And we just know that leaning into the moment means we got to lean into what these last three weeks uh, have really been about. So we started three weeks ago a series called Heal Our Land, uh, which was really a heart's cry from Second Chronicles 7.14, which we, we, we talked about last week. Uh, and we're going to be continuing to talk about that we would be, if my people would humble themselves, pray, seek, seek my face, turn from their wicked, wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And we believe in that. And so we've been praying that. We've been saying that. And today, uh, I'm really excited because we get to have a, a guest with us to have a conversation around uh, specifically what our nation is facing, because we've seen it on the news, we've seen it all over social media when it comes to just, once again, the issue of racism in our country is front and center as it needs to be so we can actually see change happen. And so we, we are, I'm excited to invite my friend, Pastor Dan Thomas, would you welcome Dan as he comes and joins me on the stage. All right, my friend, what's up, what's up? Man, it's good to be here. Uh, Always at Oklahoma City Community Church, I feel community in the house. That's right. That's right. I feel it. Well, uh, we're going to get into some discussions, but first let me just give a little bit of an introduction to Dan, if you don't know who he is. Uh, Dan, is a, he's a church planner, he's a pastor, he's a coach, he's a mentor, he does a lot of different things in life, and uh, we met about three years ago. Mm-hmm. He was actually walking down through open streets and wandered into our church, him and his wife, uh, Shasta, who's right over here, we're so glad you're here too. They came in with some friends, and uh, Stephen came and got me and said, hey, you need to come meet this guy, and I actually met Dan in the prayer room. Come on. (laughs) And so we talked about prayer, that was our first conversation, was about prayer in our city and what we felt like God was gonna do in our city, and uh, we've been connected ever since. He actually came and uh, prayed the roof off this place in the night of worship uh, last year. If you guys remember that, I was like, uh, okay, let's, I need to probably bring him back sometime. Um, and so here we are. And uh, anyway, we're so glad you're here. And um, uh, yeah, we just want to get into this discussion today. We have a lot to talk yep. about. And so we're going to jump right in. Obviously, since uh, the death of George Floyd almost three weeks ago now, the subject of racism and equality has, has, has rushed back into the uh, center stage in our nation. And, and, and I think rightfully so. There's some things that just never quite get resolved and some things that we need to all grow in as a nation and even as the church. And I think what you bring to the table is a really, really great um, uh, perspective because, yeah, you can talk about the issues, but you can talk about it from the context of what does it mean for us as believers, as followers of Christ, and how do we go and be kingdom people? Uh, and so, we're gonna, I wanna, I, I, you know, obviously, we've talked a little bit about this, but I want you to kind of just let's just hear your heart uh, for the church and our, and our world and what needs to change. Just jump in. As Christians, we obviously need to respond. So, without even asking a question, why don't you just share a little bit uh, on your heart to kind of get us into this? This topic today. Well, uh, thanks, Pastor Tim. I think one thing that believers need to understand is that we're ambassadors for Christ. And so one of the things I want to do and one of the things I've been endeavoring to do is get back to the fundamentals, the essentials, and the foundation that this is not my home. 
And so I've been sent here as an ambassador with an assignment to correct what has been wronged. I think a lot of people are waiting for Jesus to come back, and Jesus is waiting for us to realize that he's in us. Mm, Amen. So just from uh, that platform, from that understanding, uh, as the church goes, so does the world. You know, Romans 8 8 talks about that the earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I think that sometimes we think that that means that the earth is waiting for us to become the sons of God when actually the earth is groaning for us to realize that we are. Mm. We we already are. We're we're actually, uh, when we deal with uh, the new creation, we're actually a, if if you could use this word, a new race of beings. Where my friend Tori Montgomery says, we're the Christ kind. So he didn't actually put us back to where Adam left off. He made us a new thing. You know, Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. We're completely different, brand new, never been seen before. Uh, never been seen before. And because we don't understand that about ourselves, we're reflecting something that's not consistent with what God thinks about us. Wow. And so. So once we realize we have authority in the earth, that what we say goes, what we do goes, that, that we're the micro, according to the world, we're the subculture, but the macro, which is the world, actually gets their marching orders from us. So whatever we say, whatever we do, however we feel, however we think, that's reflected in the world because I think Peter says it best. He says that we are the oracles of God in the earth. This is what Peter says. Well, what he means when he says that is that the word of God in our mouths is just as powerful as it is in God's mouth. So what you say actually makes things happen. It makes things go. It makes things. So we don't, we don't, we don't realize this. And so I think one, the first thing we have to do is from pulpits is we have to change our language. The first thing we have to change is this. There's only one race. There's only one race. So if a black man and a white woman or a black woman and a white man get together, they did not have a multiracial child. Two humans got together and had another human. <laughs> Amen. That, that's, that's what happened. And because if we say, just logically, if I say that I'm of another race, then that means I'm of another species that God created. But he only created one. He only created one from one blood. And so, uh, honestly, and I hope this is not too controversial, a lot of the erroneous beliefs that we have about each other actually came from the pulpit. So it has to be corrected from the pulpit. We, we have to change our language. There's only one race. We have to just completely eradicate that out of our vernacular. And then we have to preach that, that God brings us all into one, all into unity. And that is the representation of the family of God, that there's variety, there's difference, there's variance, but it's all the same. It's all the same. If we were all the same, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, it'd be boring. If, if, if everyone had eyes, where would the hearing be? If everyone could hear, where would the speaking be? If everybody was black, we couldn't appreciate white. And so we're learning how to embrace difference, but that language, the first thing that has to happen, the language from the church has to change. So give us a little bit more, like if it's changing within the ranks of the church, like if there's change that needs to bubble up, be outside of our land. So language, I get it. I got to do a better job as a pastor. 
right, from the pulpit. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, no. No, I, I mean, we, we, I get what you're saying, though. Like, yeah. we, all must, we all must progress and grow even in the way we speak about things. But give us, give us even some thoughts about what you see for the church, because I think you have eyes to see the church in a really powerful way. Like, what do you see for the church in terms of just what does it mean to look like to kind of change it from within our own ranks, if you will, uh, as a church? What are some thoughts that you have about that? So this is where we may get into some trouble and we'll have to each of us do some digging uh, in our hearts. So the first thing is, is that racism and bias and prejudice and bigotry is prevalent and pervasive in the world because it's tolerated in the church. So that's the first thing we've, we've got to realize that it's within our own rank. So the language is the beginning point, but we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions. I was having a discussion with someone yesterday and they said, well, I'm not racist. And what I said to them is that I believe you. The, and this was a white brother in the Lord. I said, the problem is, is that you haven't been asked a question that has conflict enough to get below the layers. So let's say my daughter was black. She is, obviously. Wanted to marry your son. Would there be any hesitancy? Would there be any equivocation? Would there be anything that would say, mm, I don't know about that? At that moment, you have to begin to check yourself and ask, where is that hesitancy coming from? What is it that you believe about black people? What was taught to you at a young age? See, it's those kinds of things. Once we get into, we, we, we move out of the, uh, the, the country, if you will, with each other and move into the suburbs and the thoroughfare of each other's lives. See, it's easy to say, hey, I've got a multicultural church. I've got blacks here, I've got whites here, I've got Asians, I've got Hispanics. But that doesn't mean everybody knows about everybody's culture. That doesn't mean that everybody embraces everyone else's culture. That doesn't mean that you're going to go over their house to eat. It, it, it just means that you've agreed one day a week to be nice to each other at church. That's it. So I think we have multi-ethnic churches but personally, I haven't seen a lot of multicultural churches where we intentionally embrace each other. I was told once, uh, uh, I spent a great deal of time, thanks to my wife Shasa, in the Southern Baptist Church, largest Protestant denomination in the world. And uh, they, they always were, would open their churches to uh, Filipinos, uh, to Dominicans. I mean, they were very loving in that sense. And I made a proposal, I think I was 27, 28 at the time, that we should go around and have services with each other so that we could begin to learn each other's culture. Well, the gentleman that was revamping the vision and the mission of that particular association at the time said, that's good, but we just need to wrap ourselves around the central message of the gospel. The things that you're trying to do won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. He, he told me that that would be an exercise in futility to even try to get people to understand culture, uh, background, uh, ethnic, uh, you know, nuances. That's, that's what he told me. And I said, okay, well, I know what I should do now. So if that's the rubric from the church, now I'm going to go tell a woman who's being beat by her husband that she should wait until Jesus comes back to fix it. I'm going to go tell that guy that's on drugs, don't try to do anything. Don't, you don't have to worry about the power of God. We're going to wait until Jesus comes back to fix it. I'm going to tell someone who's in abject poverty, who's living from paycheck to paycheck, it's been prevalent through all the generations in their family that, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait until Jesus comes back to fix it. And we keep putting something off in some eschatological fantasy that Jesus has given us the power via the Holy Spirit to fix now. 
we're supposed to fix this now. And it's hurtful, but often truth hurts you before it can help you. And that's, that's where we are right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, man, this is so good. This is so good. I just like to bring comic relief. I'm really... Yeah, right. I'm really, but, so I, I, I love the, the, um, the, the conversation around the reality that so many people are making... Um, Racism an issue that we can't do anything about because it's, as you keep mentioning, like we just got to wait for, it's so big, what do we really, what can we really do? And so why don't you kind of give us a little bit of some history, I know you have a slide and stuff, to kind of kind of give us a, some context to this conversation in reality, is that all right? So if it's for the here and now and it's not for then, like tell us, tell us a little bit about that, give us a little bit of lead up to this moment that we're in right now. Okay, so we're, we're going to put up a graphic in a moment, I'll, I'll tell you when, but I think Sometimes, and, and it's the same way politicians play on us, they, they know that the general populace has a short memory, right? So they know that every four years, you're gonna get hyped up about voting, and then two years after that, you know, you're gonna forget everything they said, everything they did, and we'll just do it all over again. Well, the same thing happens with history in the world. You know, uh, and this is not against the millennials uh, or the, uh, I think it's the Z generation. I don't know what it is today. I don't Gen know what Z, it is. Gen Z, yeah. Yeah, Gen Z. So the, I, was, I was a Gen Xer, so they did this to us. I, I used to think that back in the day was two weeks ago. <laughs> so anything that's not in recent memory, like 15 minutes ago, is back in the day. And that's kind of how we treat history now. But if you realize the Civil Rights Act was in 1964, the Voting Rights Act was in 1965. They signed that because they were rioting on the streets for six days straight. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson signed that in fear of the riots continuing. Now, watch this. There were obstacles and impediments and obstructions to black people voting at that time. Uh, all kinds of different things, grandfather clauses. Uh, we can't get into everything that happened. But... Uh, Martin Luther King was asked to help promote a bill on TV doing marches for Lyndon B. Johnson for something that he couldn't even vote for himself. So you think about the magnitude of that, and then what happens today is people say, well, man, it was so long ago, so long ago. Why are we still dealing with this? And so I just wanted to put up a graphic really quickly so we can see how long ago it really was. Just want you to look at this real quick. So you've got American slavery from 1526 to 1865. That's 339 years. 1865, you begin segregation. So, you know, there's no more slavery per se, but you've still got segregation of black and white people. And we know that segregation was there because I just want us to think about the reality of this, that if you've been working all day and you had to go to the restroom, and the only restroom that was close was a white establishment in a restaurant. There were actual signs that told you that if you went to that restroom, you were breaking the law. It's not a suggestion. You are breaking the law. You could be arrested, convicted, and put in jail for an indefinite amount of time because you had to use the restroom. That's it. Take a drink of water. Sit in the back of the bus. Uh, there were sundown laws that said if you were on a certain side of town and you were caught on that certain side of town just because you were black, that something could happen to you, even lose your life, and it would never be brought to legal process. Just two years ago, as a matter of fact, right here in Oklahoma, Norman, Oklahoma, finally took off the sundown laws in their books. Two years ago. That's 2018. 
So you have here segregation 1865 to 1954. Uh, that's another 89 years of segregation. Now from 1954 to 2020, we're only 66 years removed from Jim Crow, sundown laws, redlining, uh, egregious redistricting, all those things. And for somehow we think that the vestiges and the residue would be gone in less than two generations. So the question is, is if this, if this segregation ended 66 years ago, how many 66-year-olds do you know? That would mean black, white, or otherwise, those people were living when this was going on. And for some reason, we want to push it up under the rug and say, oh, we don't have to deal with that because Barack Obama was elected. Again, uh, here's a situation that I know uh, that a lot of people don't know this. Uh, generally, and this may be media hype, some of it, but generally, if let's just say a white male, if he does something, uh, let's take the Boston Marathon bomber. Uh, I forget how old he was, but there was no narrative in the United States that said, okay, all 30-year-old white males, you better watch out. If they look a certain way, if their hair is cut a certain way, he may be another bomber. The problem is, is if a black male does something, on his shoulders is cast the entire, uh, all, in all of America, it's only 13%, I, I believe, of African Americans, period. But he, he carries the weight of all black males. If he does something, then all of us did it. That's the narrative. And so when that's pumped into you year after year, generation after generation, over and over again, and this is, you know, psychology tells us that your mindset is set between the ages of six and 10. So sometimes we believe things about people and we don't even know how it got there. So I've experienced this. Wow, Dan, and, 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 and I didn't take offense because I, I knew that they didn't know what they were saying. You talk really well for a black guy. So my question is, as opposed to what? You know, to be able to have a grasp of the English language. Even now, Pastor Tim, I'm here on this stage. The majority of the room is white. There's not as much anymore uh, because of our friendship, but there's pressure that any black male would feel on this stage to perform well in front of a majority white crowd so that I won't be the last black guy that can come into a space like this. That's the pressure, the real pressure every day that black males and black people feel that we have to perform. I've talked to, this last thing I'll say about this, but I've talked to some gentlemen yesterday. They told me they were, it was, uh, they were in their 60s, and they said that it was, they were in their teens before they even saw a black person. They didn't even see one. Now, as a black person in America, I couldn't be afforded the opportunity not to see white people because I didn't have the leverage or the power to not see white people. That's, that's privilege, and everybody has privilege in some right. I have privilege as a man because I'm not walking away from the gym with T-shirts and shorts and Nikes on wondering, is this going to attract some woman to come and rape me? It's never happened. But because I have privilege as a man, my job and my responsibility is to make sure that women who are disadvantaged because they've been sexualized in this culture to make sure that I, I can do all I can to make sure they don't experience that. That's privilege. So white people have privilege in this country that they may or may not know about, but it's been covered up so long by laws and legislation. Hey, you've got a black president now. We're still dealing with this stuff because we're still being educated about what's been done to us, for us, in spite of us, and against us, and that's both black and white. 
So what would you say when it comes back, if we're bringing this back to the church, right? Mm-hmm. And we're bringing this back to followers. I mean, we all have been hearing um, the conversation and it's sitting in our hearts and we're trying to wrestle with it. There's things that don't line up with us. There's things that do line up with us in our hearts and the things that we're resonating with and not resonating with. But none of that matters. At the end of the day, when it comes to us, it does matter. But when it comes to us as followers of Jesus and we're trying to say, okay, I'm a person of peace. Like I'm a peaceful person. But I always say this peace has an opinion, right? Peace is more than just, you know, uh, quiet and, and, and meek in the sense of I'm here, but peace is, peace is something that's an action. And so I don't have this, we didn't really prepare this question, but at the, at the same time, just give me a little bit of thoughts on, you know, what does it mean to be a person of peace as a Jesus follower of Christ in, in, this, in this climate we're in right now where there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions on how to, uh, how to really make a difference, right? And so I know that, you know, there's probably a lot of things that we could say, but what is your heart's cry, if I could say it this way, to see happen in the church in Oklahoma City? Yeah, and so I'll say this first. It's an incredible question. We, obviously, we didn't prepare it, but it's still a good question. None of us in here cause racism. Nobody. But we're all living in it. And it's going to take all of us to get rid of it. So the first thing is, is that we have to take responsibility. If I'm a person of peace, then I have to, I'm also a learner. Because if I'm a person of peace, I have to understand maybe I'm contributing to the conflict and I don't know it. So if I'm a person of peace, I have to be willing to learn about what caused the conflict that I'm trying to bring peace to. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that I have to be willing to engage in someone else's world that's uncomfortable to me. I think in this time as believers, as followers of Jesus, what we have to do is we have to say, I'm going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm going to take some people out to eat I would normally never talk to. I'm going to visit uh, some people I would normally never visit. I'm going to invite people over my house that I normally would not invite people over to my house. I'm going to do those things. We talked about this uh, when we were talking the other day, that the difference between empathy and sympathy would be like me coming, on an off, coming off an off-ramp from the highway in Oklahoma City, and there's a person that's holding a sign saying, I need some food. Well, I feel something about that. There's a care and compassion that erupts on the inside of me. So I hand some money out the window, but then I go on about my business. That's sympathy. Empathy would be me seeing that same person holding that sign, saying they need some food, and then I park my car on the side of the street, get out of my car, walk over there with the intent to still give them some money, but say, hi, my name is Dan. How did you get here? Tell me about your story. And so it's the story. See, what got us all saved was the story of Jesus, him coming down through 42 generations, him love. It was the story that captured our heart about what he did for us. And so as believers, we got to we have to enter into other people's lives um, past Sunday. Uh, Everybody knows this. Let me use an example. We all have work friends, people that you hang out with. You go to lunch with that work. But then somebody gets promoted. Somebody loses a job. And then you found out what kind of friends you are. You were just work friends. That's it. Now you have no relationship. The tie that bound you was work. (laughs) And that was it. Well, we have a lot of church friends. The only thing that binds us together is Sunday morning or a small group. And then we find out that once somebody moves away to get a job or something like that, we find out what the strength of our relationship is. We've got to check ourselves at that door and say, okay, Because really, the reality is, this is going to be one relationship at a time, just like expanding the kingdom of God is one disciple at a time. It's the same thing. 
I've got to do, I've got to be uncomfortable, uh, become comfortable with being uncomfortable in that space. So this sounds like a lot like uh, another, this is, it's just a topic of discipleship, right? Like we are, we are being formed to Christ in Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is one of those subjects. It's a big one that's relevant to our world, but it is, it is part of what it means to become Christ-like. What would you say to the person, um, and, and maybe this is a little loaded, but it, it isn't intended to be, but you know, a lot of people respond differently. Um, I, I feel like I've heard people say, I feel like I'm being pressured to respond a certain way right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have to do it this way or I'm, I, I, I'm not doing it right. So you, you and I talked a little bit about like just the idea that there's gonna be different approaches to how we respond. And I know you've already given some ideas, but just maybe don't give us ideas, but just the value of there being different approaches to how we, you know, live this out as disciples of Christ. I think anytime you respond to something outside of who you are, then you lose the leverage of your authenticity at that point. Because the reason why we need different responses is because we're all different. You, you can't, some people are going to make a Facebook post about it. Some people are going to go marching and protesting in the streets. Uh, some people are going to intentionally behind the scenes where no one sees them. Hey, I'm taking this person to lunch this week, this person to lunch the next week. We need all of that collectively working together uh, consistent with the giftings that God has put in you. If we all do it one way and it's a multi-layered, multifaceted issue, then we'll never get there. So I've got to be able to appreciate the gifting of God in you. T.D. Jakes actually tells a story about this uh, the first time he met uh, General Colin Powell. And there were some things like we're dealing with now going on in this country, and he was real passionate about it. And not to say that uh, General Colin Powell had a laissez-faire attitude about it. He was working from it on another angle. Uh, but at that time, T.D. Jakes was saying, you've got to do it this way, and it's got to be, and we need you to come down here. And he says, wait a minute. He says, I can't have passion for something that God has not given me a grace for. The reason why it itches you so bad because God has given you a divine scratcher for it. Go do it. <laughs> and so I think a lot of times we're trying to make people champion something that they don't have a grace for. Then they'll go do it because they respect us or they feel guilty and then they fail and then they end up doing something that they can do but not what, what they were created to do. And they lose years. They lose years. I, just uh, to make it the point even clearer, uh, if I can put it in the context of relationships, uh, those of you who are in them or thinking about getting out of them, I don't know. <laughs> you could be. But when someone says that they don't like something about you, but you know that that's the core of who you are, you may take it as they don't like this about me. But if it's your core, what they're saying, even if they don't know it, they're saying they don't like you. And anybody that tries to make you change you, you need to move away from them immediately. So I would never do that. Do it the way God is telling you to do it. Be effective about it. Be intentional about it. And then we'll see change coming from so many ways that enemy won't even be able to keep up. That's so good. Well, our worship team's going to come back. And as they do, I want to kind of close with this one question. Or really, it's just kind of open-ended to you. Just, just, a, just a little bit of, um, I think... What I've always appreciated about you is that you have a passion for not just, you know, the issues that matter to the day in day life, but you have a you have a passion for the word of God and the truth and you love to share the truth. Now, this is this is outside of the context of just this one topic. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
So if you were just going to encourage this church body, now take, take all the issues off the table and we're saying, hey, we want to see God do a move in our city. We want to see revival in this land. And you just want to encourage a church body to say, hey, um, you know, this is what I would want to share with you as I would share with anybody of Christ. What would you share with us today? I will simply say this, and this is something I share in prayer every day, that Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What that means to me is that there's something that God wants to show me. It's great and mighty. I don't know it, but I won't know it until I call on him. So I've got to recognize my dependence for him, not only in this area, but every area of my life. And that dependence, that weakness, that infirmity that I feel is actually him calling me because I want to show you something great and mighty. It may be scary. Uh, You may not know how to navigate through it, but I'm telling you what you feel is really not fear. It's a call from the Lord to come up a little bit higher. And I think it applies to what's going on in our country right now. There's something that God wants to unveil. There's something God wants to reveal. There's something that God wants to show his church so they can show it to the world. And he says, if you collectively call unto me, I will, there's the promise, show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And once you get those things that you do not know, in those things you do not know will be strategies, will be methods, will be instructions that you can apply to a hurting world. I think you need to stand up, you know, so you can like do my thing. Pray, pray for us, all right? <laughs> I'm going to get out of the way, and you just kind of just just pray over these people, pray over this church, pray over our city, pray over our nation, and um, and lead us back into worship. Amen. Right before I pray, God has been putting this on my heart ever since my wife and I moved back to Oklahoma. That, and I can't shake it. I'll be honest with you, I, I can't shake it that Oklahoma City is a genesis point that God wants to use for reformation and revival in this nation. I believe that. How many of you believe that? And it is incumbent upon us to hear that call. I want you to use your spiritual ears when we pray. And I want you to intently focus and ask Holy Spirit today, what is my part in this? Not not what the Republican agenda is, not what the uh, uh, Democratic agenda is, not any of those things. Lord, what is my part to advance your kingdom because your glory is covering the earth? And Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are moving us from what the world has placed on us. The labels and the categories they have tried to limit and restrict us in. And you're moving us into the thing that you ordained before the very foundation of the world. I thank you, Lord, that Holy Spirit is rising up on in us and that the love and the peace and the direction, everything that you have placed in us, the fruit of the Spirit would burst out in this moment to bring healing to our world. I thank you that every obstruction, every impediment is being removed right now, that the chains and the ties of the enemy are broken over everyone's life, that he was defeated over 2,000 years ago, and we don't have to fight for victory. 
We fight from victory because we already have it. And so today over your people, I declare boldness and I declare courage and I declare a sense of purpose. Even in this season that we would have clarity among chaos. And Father, that we would bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. We thank you for it. We believe that when we leave this place, we will not leave the same way we came. But we'll leave changed. Hearts changed. Minds changed. Perspectives changed. That we will see people like you see them. We will feel for people like you feel for them. We will care for them like you care for them. We will know that the image of God is on them and that they bear your image and that we are to reveal that image in them through what Jesus Christ has done for them. We thank you for it. We give you praise right now. Somebody clap your hands if you believe that. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Somebody shout with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.